Hi team, and welcome back to this week's e-commerce experts. Can you believe it's only been a week since we were sat here with Noel Mack from Gymshark discussing social disruption? I can't believe what a whirlwind of a week it's been, but thank you ever so much for listening and welcome everybody who is new to the podcast. We're a community of like-minded, ambitious e-commerce professionals looking to see and find and discover uh, what the latest brands are doing and how they really cut through and really make noise within the industry. We've had some phenomenal guests so far, and this week is no different. Today, I introduce you to Julia, the International Marketing Director of Maxwell Scott Bags. Now, Julia's been with the brand for a long time and has got some really interesting learnings of what it's like being a luxury retailer, specifically how they managed to turn around the copy sounding like the Queen and the imagery looking like a James Bond villain to become one of the most loved luxury bag brands out there. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Without further ado, here she is. Well, Julia, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate it, particularly as you've got a very busy schedule. Q4 is coming up. Are you ready? No, I have to admit, <laughs> I don't feel ready. We've just launched our new website, which was a, a really big job. We're still fixing all the bugs that, that the customers hopefully don't see. But with all the logistics that's going on in the background, obviously Brexit and everything, I'm sure we're talking about it. We had a lot to do this year. So yes, we've started planning, but I, I don't feel ready. But I don't know if I ever do feel ready. I like being super prepared. Don't you think some of the best ideas come out of not being ready and being time pressured? I do, actually. And I found this very strange and at the same time really motivating in 2020 when um, the pandemic was hitting and no one had an idea what's going on, no sales coming in, what we're doing. And you're suddenly in, in action mode and you don't have the time to question yourself too much or to think too much. And I think that, that I don't know, I with this urgency, I, I feel creative. I feel, feel a buzz from it. I've actually just listened to a podcast that Noel, the brand director from Gymshark, says exactly the same. He says the moment that action stations moment hits, it's a horrible situation that the world is in. But you're just incredibly at that point, a creative or any business doesn't have time to think. If you're going to get ahead of it, you've got to start moving and you've got to move very, very quickly. I agree with you. I'm going on holiday tomorrow and I've never felt more time pressured than I have today with the (laughs) amount of stuff I've got to get in. I also think I've produced not all, but some of it is, I think, my best work. So let's hope this interview is. We'll find out. I actually had the pleasure of, I would like to say meeting you, but unfortunately it's always online nowadays, isn't it? So I had the pleasure of meeting you at a masterclass earlier in the year, and I just found the way you told the story about Maxwell Scott bags is really, really inspiring. And also I think it's something that resonated because you were very honest about the challenges you guys have gone through in the last year, in the last few years. And I thought that would really resonate with the listeners. So to kind of recap and go to the beginning, how did you find yourself at Maxwell Scott Bags? It was at the beginning, it was a plan B that I didn't really have. So right in my early 20s, I wanted to work in theatre and TV. I found myself at the German equivalent of BBC Two. And it was the same situation. The channel moved online or that, that part of the channel moved online. And I was the first one. Yeah, I was the last one in, the first one out. And 
And that was really what I wanted to do. And it was really exciting. And at that point, I always have a plan B, but I did not have a plan B. And I found myself a bit in, in limbo and traveled a lot and thought, what could I do? And a friend said, you can't continue like this. You need to do something at some point. And she sent me this job at coming back to York because I had worked for the Grand Opera House in York before with the Ambassador Feeder Group. And said, why don't you do that? And I said, oh, well, I might, want to, I might do that for a year. We'll see. And it was building up the German market. And then I went for the interview. The company flew me out. It was like, great. I just try this. And yeah, 10 years later, <laughs> um, and it turned into Korea because it, it I don't know, it, I'm glad I've made the change into digital now because obviously how, how times are going and I feel really sorry for my friends in, in the theatre and TV industry and generally cultures and arts. It, it really breaks my heart to see that it doesn't get funding anymore. And yeah, very, very sad. But I made a transition to digital and I uh, haven't regretted it because it combines so many aspects of the creativity, but then also the, the planning and the organization and being rational and looking at data. I've discovered my love for data in recent years. <laughs> it, it combines everything. So what used to be just a stopgap turned into a career. I think a lot of people feel that way. But growing up, e-commerce wasn't an option, right? It, it wasn't a career that anyone thought about in the same way that kids now say they want to be YouTubers. Well, YouTube didn't exist when I was at school. So it, I think it is something that a lot of people who are in the industry now hadn't necessarily planned to be in, but have found themselves on this journey. And it's an exciting journey, right? Because it, it's something that just yeah. constantly changes. And that's what I like about it. Like no day is like the other, no day is the same. And you constantly have to keep up and learn so it never gets boring. The learning part appeals to me as well, because there's yeah. always more to learn and it's not something that's ever going to stay the same. You can't read one book, watch one podcast, watch anything and know everything. Satisfying and frustrating at the same time. You're never yeah. going to be a master. <laughs> you think, oh, this is going to work. And then the opposite works better. And the thing you were thinking about would work brilliantly. Well, it doesn't, doesn't do anything. I read Rory Sutherland's book recently and it, it talks about how Everything you think, everything that is logical, do the opposite. It, it, the power of alchemy, I think it's called. It's really interesting because yeah. that was the launch of Red Bull, I think, was the specific story he, he discusses, how who would ever decide to introduce a brand that's more expensive, that you get less value for your money, and that you spend even more on advertising than you could ever dream on than any other brand on the market. And yet it's, it's now one of the biggest drinks in the market. That's interesting. I have to, I have to give that a go. because sometimes. Oh, yeah. some something feels completely rational you think it's a good decision but then you've got that gut feeling and everyone looks in the office weird at me when I say I've got that feeling and you you do the opposite and then it turns out to be, be the right thing to do and and actually you've been at the brand so long now your thought process is one with the brand I would imagine I, I imagine you don't need to think separately anymore think about oh would this be right for the tone would this be right for the fit of the brand because actually you've been there so long you you know that inherently Yes, but that can be very dangerous as well because you get so used to it. You you just carry on doing it and you never really, like there was a time just before the pandemic where you just, you don't reflect anymore. You just, you get so busy and, you get, and things get so exciting and they move forward and you don't stop and think, hang on a second, are we still on the right track here? Is it still the right thing to do? And this is why I... On all other aspects, I did not like 2020, just to clarify that. <laughs> but in terms of 
business and just having that time or needing to stop and think, okay, what we're we doing now, it was actually really, really good, really okay. beneficial. You've alluded it to it now, so I've got to ask it. <laughs> Maxwell Scott was once likened to a James Bond villain. And when I say that, it was the tone of the copy and, and the imagery and, and the way the website was being portrayed. A, I absolutely love that you confessed that the brand did come across like that. It, it's not something that many marketing directors would say, yeah, that's us, that's us. But how did you, how did you turn the brand around from that position? Because that's, that's quite a strong negative, actually. And, and you want to turn the brand into a positive and a brand that some people want to have. Yeah, that was one of these aha moments I had when I went through. It actually went for our standard viral on social. And um, someone commented that the, the model on the picture looked like a Bond villain, like you just said, and the tone of voice sounded like the Queen. <laughs> um, <laughs> which you might think, oh, it's quite positive, sounds quite posh and well-spoken, but actually, would you want to engage with the Queen? Is it is it a nice, relaxed coffee chat you have with her? Probably not. So I thought, okay, we need to... This is why I told this story, because I think it's it's good to be honest and just reflect on it and just be yeah criticize yourself and reflect on it how we've turned it around we've worked heavily on the tone of voice and the imagery and we went back to the beginnings because the vision was always to be the most loved luxury bag brand in the world and you can see that in our logo so you see the mds and there's a heart in the middle and the bond villain and the queen obviously don't really go with with that so we went back to a drawing board at loads of creative meetings with copywriters our designers and so how can we how can how can we turn that around and yeah came up with a completely new tone of voice which actually resembled more the brand when I started so we started out well lost ourselves somewhere in the middle and are back on track now I think it's a really good sense check and you're right You've done something that I talk about quite a bit and quite a few brands don't do. You know who you want your customer to be and you know who you want to be in order to attract those people. You've done that work and that research, but it's about sense checking it. And so was it just that this person had commented that you sounded like the Queen and looked like a James Bond villain? Was that the thing that prompted you or do you think there's any other way in which you would now identify that you'd gone off the rails? Just reading pieces of copy, it was just too convoluted, um, too complicated, probably too academic as well. Yeah. And yes, we target business people. Yes, we target the AB class of the market in that sense. But still, I think I'm a Maxwell Scott target customer as well. And then I thought, would I want to sit there on a night reading this? Um, <laughs> It was like this is this is too complicated. No one likes shopping because it should be an easy, positive experience. Because especially business people that we want to target have stressful jobs. They don't want to read copy that is then that they have to read twice to get it. So yeah, we just took it apart and and, and simplified it. We made it more approachable, friendlier to read as well. And it, because we we welcome all. Yes, it is a luxury product, but we welcome all customers. Like just this morning, a ninety-year-old um, grandma called up and said, "I'm having purchased from you for the last ten years. I'm always buying key rings. That's fine. That's a large <laughs> customer. That is what we want. So it's not just the customers that buy for five thousand, six thousand pounds worth of luggage. It's it's everyone. 
and being more inclusive again, targeting, yeah, going broader with the targeting. Because yeah. we know so well who our customer is. But again, if it becomes second nature, you alienate a lot of people as well. And I think that's what we've realized. Yeah, no, you you absolutely do. I think that's a really good lesson to learn and a good lesson to learn at this point on your journey, because actually you're going to need it in order to grow. Even though you've got a relatively small staff base, you are now growing internationally and it's something that will need to be translated in your copy wherever you are. How have you found that expanding when your staff base isn't necessarily growing at the same rate at which the business is? Difficult. It's doable in the sense that we can work a lot with freelancers and we only work with native speakers because I think that's the only way it, it's working. Then, especially for myself, because I started the German market, then I started the French market, then we went to the US. And it's like this realization you can't do everything yourself. Yes, you have to keep the finger on the pulse, but you need to give work away. Otherwise, you, the quality drops and that's also not what we want. Um, so that was a lesson for me, working with more staff, not being a total control freak, wanting to do everything myself. And then trying to get the copy in-house, like implementing it on the site. It's all well and good getting it written, but there's a the technical aspect as well. So we're actually considering to hire more staff next year that doesn't necessarily have the language expertise because it's difficult now with Brexit getting European staff in or American staff. So we'd still work with freelancers in the respective countries, but actually having more people in the head office to, to implement it accordingly. So it's been... It's been a challenge, but I think we've worked out a way how to how to bring it all together now and bring more people in-house again. And you're right, you've had a lot of challenges because all your bags are handmade in Tuscany. So thank you, Brexit. That's another challenge for you. A lot of people have obviously been suffering logistical challenges, supplier challenges. Because you have a good relationship with your manufacturers, have you managed to continue that supply and not had a have a gap or an empty I'd say an empty shelf but an empty <laughs> online shelf um yes at the beginning of it we actually had we had real problems because we lost around 50,000 pounds worth of stock on, on tax hold somewhere and it, it, it didn't turn up hold that it turned up. things are still turning up I've just had a delivery that's nine months delayed like nine months ago my mum ordered something she ordered a book for me from America and it has just turned up where it's been for the last nine months, I cannot tell you, but it has just, and, and the postage and everything, it looks as if it, it, it should have just been delivered eight months ago and it's been sat somewhere waiting for me. It's so you been, never know. <laughs> I think there's still one box missing that we've kind of written off now. The others arrived. But that, yeah, for a small business, that's a lot of money. That was just in limbo. But we could solve these problems. Again, that then feeds through to customer service so you have a lot more customer service because people are waiting for the orders so yes it was a logistical and financial challenge but actually it's forced us to do something that we were planning to do in one or two years actually setting up an Italian warehouse so we will be shipping within the single market and probably also shipping from Italy to the US depending on how the trade deal there turns out. It's funny, isn't it? Because we said earlier the benefits of actually these things forcing you to do things earlier, but it's got you to a place logistically where you're actually now able to handle more. And I can't imagine that it was a particularly fun journey because you're, as you say, dealing with the consumer challenges and your own resource challenges internally to try and make sure everything happens. There's a really good post that says, what created your tr digital transformation? Was it A, your CTO? Was it B, your CEO? Or was it C, COVID-19? <laughs> 
the answer is COVID. It's the thing that's forced it through. And and I do think that, you know, as a small business, you are agile enough to be able to handle it. And you clearly come out of it well. It's been a lot of challenges. But as it stands, I think it, it was good for us. That sounds so weird because you, the pandemic wasn't good for anyone. It's been horrible. But at the same time, it has advanced us and brought us to a stage where we're like, OK, we're ready to grow now. We have these facilities. We can onboard big marketplaces because we have the Italian warehouse that we can ship from. So in that sense, it's brought a lot of benefits. And also when you mentioned Zoom and online meetings, it's made for smaller brands, it made it more accessible to contact with, say, journalists in Germany or the US because you just have on Zoom. Whereas before, there were times where I was in Germany every week, not good for the environment because I'm flying. I'm missing a lot of work because I'm constantly out of the office. So in that sense, that's been good. But then saying that I miss the face-to-face meetings and catch-up and dinners and lunches. And yeah, sometimes it feels like it felt like a lot of hard work with very little pleasure. Yeah, you don't get the nice bits, do you? And, and as I'm, I know corporate dinners sometimes can be very painful, but you get to know people on a different level. Yeah. And actually, I think you form greater bonds face to face than you will ever be able to create online, sadly. Yes, that's that's true. So networking has definitely suffered. And I think I've spoken to our PR director this week and she said and she's so glad PRs are meeting again and they're having their catch-ups and in lunches and coffees again because over the phone or just over email you, you don't form that same relationship you can't all oh, that, that passion for the brand that you want to bring across you that doesn't work online no. as well no I completely agree not to mention that actually let's be honest the newspapers have been doom gloom and boring so actually PR as a whole area as a whole business point has been quite it's either been focused on look at this amazing thing this business have done in order to help the community so nothing to do with the business whatsoever or this is the COVID count right now isn't it terrible I know they there's the good news site and things like that the mass media has been quite boring and demoralizing I don't know what all those wags are doing because with no one to take photos of them (laughs) But even for us, we got featured a lot about Brexit and international businesses, and we've we've been asked for comments and quotes, which has been great. But in terms of your SEO relevancy, that hasn't been so good. So that's one of the areas we're working on at the moment to get to get actual features about our products and not just me quoting on Brexit or something else. Well, it's interesting actually that you say that things have gone well. Because I would have expected initially when I started talking to you that luggage was going to be severely hit because people weren't traveling. And so I had automatically, incorrectly, clearly made the assumption that bags, rucksacks were things that people weren't buying, and particularly as it's a luxury product. But obviously, you've not seen that exact trend or you wouldn't be talking to me today. It has shifted. And the products that we sell most have, have shifted. So it, haven't, it hasn't been briefcases or luggage. You're completely on the money there. But it's been accessories, smaller gifts. A lot of people have done so-called COVID giftings because they couldn't celebrate special birthdays together. So a lot of the personalized gifting has been doing well. So we sold different items. And now slowly we see the travel bags coming back, the briefcases coming back, which obviously is really welcome because it's, financially we need I was gonna to say it's got to be an average order value yeah. situation hasn't it so yeah. yeah 
I, I don't think anyone blames you for that. Interesting that people are buying them again, though. I'm imagining it's the excitement of we're going into the office. Oh, well, I obviously need a new bag because I would think that way, I have to say. I'm always getting feedback from the customer service team and people also start buying briefcases for the home office. So when they have to go one day into the office, that they have a new bag. So we get a lot of interesting good customer feedback at the moment. That's been nice, actually. The customer service team has said that when you actually chat to people, we get a lot of nice feedback. People grave human interaction. Yeah. It, it's it's You have the time as well. You have yeah. the time to do that feedback, whereas I think in life pre-COVID, you probably would have made yourself so busy, or as you say, you would be traveling. You, you don't have the time, whereas now I think people do appreciate the little things a bit more. Gratitude is definitely something that... I think as a nation, we are significantly more aware of. And I think most people practice it a lot more frequently than they would pre-pandemic. We're thankful we're still here. Thankful we've still got jobs. And that's what I always say to the team, because that's always been my motto. If I'm so busy that I don't have time to be friendly anymore, then something's wrong. Then I need to stop. Yeah. And um, like if I know that the atmosphere in the office drops, I'm like, okay, let's Let's reassess what's everyone doing because it can be tension for a few hours or a day. But if over weeks everyone's in a bad mood, mm. then something's, something's that's bad. a really interesting point. I think that's a good leadership point. As in, yeah. I think that is a differentiating factor between a good leader and a mediocre leader. The fact that they can sense that, understand that and adapt accordingly rather than just let it carry on. Because there's nothing worse than a toxic or a negative culture. It, you just Definitely. we'll get the best out of anyone yeah I saw this snippet on Instagram from Stephen Bartlett and he said he even notices when he walks into the office and there's no music on and I'm like yeah I know exactly what he means because it's yeah. just completely makes it or break it, it absolutely does and we've all worked in well those of us that are old enough have all worked in those situations where yeah. it hasn't been such a nice environment and you think okay how can I ensure that that doesn't happen elsewhere whether that is valuing your employees and making sure they have everything they need which is something that's so overlooked or whether that is as you say just having the music on buying a coffee once in a while ensuring that you know you ask about their personal lives. I think it's really, really important, particularly now when we are isolated. It's more important than ever to stay connected. Have you guys managed to do that remotely somehow? Yes, yeah. It's been difficult during 2020, and I have to admit, in retrospect, I could have handled things a bit better. Also, we had people on furlough. It's like, how do you manage that? Like, we've all never been in that situation. So if I had to do it again, I probably would do things very, very differently. But since we've, we, we do like a merger, so we're a few days in the office, we're a few days at home. And um, the office days are generally, like, I don't pencil so much work for the office days because everyone's catching up. And I, and I think it needs to be that way. Also, creative meetings, things like that. They're just better when everyone's in a room, even though it's socially distanced. You get that atmosphere and you get ideas just um, throwing back and forth. So you're no, not I thinking about the fact, my cat's actually not here today, but you're not thinking about the fact that the cat's just knocked over your plant or the postman's just arrived. It gives you that opportunity to really close off and think about I, I couldn't work any other way creatively. I think I'd really yeah. struggle. And so you're right, being in that environment where you can bounce ideas off each other and don't have to think about anything else, which if anyone says they can do that at home, I would I would love to hear from them on, on how they manage that. Because yeah. all I'm thinking about 
is the fact that my washing machine's about to finish and I'm going to have to hang that up in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. And also, yeah, like an Excel sheet, I can work on figures and financial targets at home. But if I have to think about something creative, I like having the designer there and think, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? And you say something and she's like, hang on, hold that thought. We could do this, that and the other. And these conversations that that just develop yeah you can't do that it's funny because everyone kept using the phrase water cooler conversations didn't they during the pandemic but I actually yes those are very lovely but I don't think it's necessarily the water cooler conversations I think it's the feedback it's the instant feedback of just being like this isn't really your job but guys can I just get your opinion on this you know what do you feel because you don't have that opportunity online or it's much harder to replicate online and, and you don't get you don't always get people's honest reaction because you can't hide a face when yeah. you are face to face. Whereas online, you could be like, oh, yeah, I think that's okay. You might yeah. not. Or a connection drops out. That's the oh. thing. Because sometimes over the phone, you get a more honest voice feedback. Whereas if your connection drops out, and then, yeah. Absolutely. So you guys are at this wonderful growth stage. And it's exciting now that the world's opening back up again. You're logistically more advanced. Hopefully this is going to be a significantly better 2022 for you than you've had for the last two years. What do you think is going to be the most important channel for you over the next year for growth? This is the thing. There's so much more room for email marketing, sending out more personalized email, differentiating the database more. I think there's a lot of growth potential. Then I had a really interesting call with Google yesterday who said YouTube could be the next thing for us in terms of AdWords and PPC and advertising with video. So I'm excited to explore that more. They're doing a great offer at the moment as well, aren't they? Where if you spend, I think it's 20,000, they'll fund your ads. So there's lots of exciting things on YouTube at the moment, not just this podcast. I think that's interesting that that's the route you're going down as a luxury product. Is that because brand awareness and consideration are the parts of the marketing funnel that you're focusing on right now rather than conversion? Or why do you think that channel is going to be the focus? We definitely need to increase our brand awareness. Mm -hmm. I think not enough people are aware of us. I'd like that to be more. And then also telling the brand story. And video is just such a great medium to, to do that. And especially YouTube, because you've got a long form of narrative content that could work. And then also if we do video, we could also chop it up and put it into into our social channel. So it's more product focused for Instagram, especially or Facebook. So it's a nice way to, to use one piece of content for, for different channels and, and look at them individually and, and grow them this way. And we found that engagement for images on Instagram and Facebook, I think every brand moans about that at the moment, has just gone down and it is, they're becoming video platforms. So we need to react to that. Yeah. Does that mean TikTok's next? I'm on the fence with that. I'm very on the fence with it. My content writer said, don't do it. Don't, not at all. Our CEO will probably even cringe now that I say I'm on the fence with it. But it, it's where trends are made. So if I... If I'd have a piece of content where I'd think, or a product where I'd think, oh, that could work, I wouldn't be adverse to to trying it. It's more and more luxury brands on TikTok now. So, and actually, it's really funny. <laughs> Episode two, I have a long conversation with Nikolai about TikTok, and he says 
that the generation that buys engagement rings isn't on there yet. I heavily disagree with him throughout it all because that's my generation that are getting engaged right now. And there are all of my friends who have got engaged in the last year. All of them have TikTok, absolutely every single one of them. And they spend way too many hours on there. And so I won't name and shame them on here. But I do think that actually whether it's COVID rated, whether it's because people have more time at home because there's less travel time going on. I do think that the 30 year olds are on TikTok. And I do think therefore it's an opportunity for those businesses that move first to capture that market. And it's not just anymore for kids. It's not just for teenagers, for those that are down with it. Well, it it hit the news, didn't it? A couple of weeks ago that People now spend more time on TikTok than they do on YouTube, which is huge. I had to deinstall the app because you you lose hours to it. But then it's also like the aspirational um, side of things like Gen Z, which are on there now, which if they buy into the brand young, if they then get the first promotion and they get the bigger job and then they... They can afford the luxury holiday. That's where you want them to think of you as a brand. I think that's always quite interesting. Well, that's why Kellogg's have the Kellogg's University, right? And I think it is. It's something I, as a child, was offered the opportunity to go on a sailing course with HSBC. I've had a HSBC bank account ever since because they paid for me to go and learn to sail for a week. And, And do I have an emotive connection to them now? Absolutely. Does it somehow, I I can't tell you why I'm still loyal to them because I don't think they're the best bank in the world. But I think I will always have a HSBC account because they ingrained yeah. that into me at such a young age. We've got that emotional association. Yeah. And it's a bank. That's why we're pushing graduation gifts, A-level nice. gifts, all the gifting opportunities. We were pushing that because it's like the first, once you've graduated and get your first job, that's the first opportunity to have a nice wallet or a laptop sleeve or even the briefcase. That's a really nice induction. I like that point of customer journey and difference. I can see how that really benefits you. And I think about what I got for graduation and actually, yeah, it was an iPad. Of course it yeah, was. Yeah, nice. Ready for, ready for my new job, which I definitely didn't need it for. I just watched Netflix on it. But it is that big moment, isn't it, where you think, what could I get? Hmm, interesting. So with that in mind, excluding Maxwell Scott Bags, what's your favorite e-commerce brand right now? Probably not what you expect. I used to go to all the different brands. Like I have certain brands I like to shop, but I am a total Zalando convert. Oh, I did not expect that. I know, because I'm discovering new brands. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic as well, you have more time. I did a lot of sorting out and I thought, I have nothing to wear other than my tracksuits. I need to I need to buy some new stuff. So I was on a brand discovery journey and rediscovered Zalando. What makes it a great customer experience for you? Why do you want to buy on that platform? So I, I get recommended brands that they think I like and they do it really, really well. Okay. So I am a convert, I have to say. That's interesting you say that because I've shopped on there a few times. The delivery is always what gets me a little bit. I haven't been on it in a while, so I'll have to take another look now. But sometimes the delivery, I have a real thing about paying delivery. I won't pay delivery. End of. Like It'll have to be something I really, really wanted. If you're spending over £50, I just don't believe you should pay delivery, rightly or wrongly. I know how much that absolutely hammers e-commerce brands' bottom lines. 
But thank you, Amazon Prime. You've now set that industry standard. So I expect free delivery. But Zalando's personalization is a really interesting point there because you're right, their emails down to the experience you get on the website, it's all personalized around you. And they often have in stock things that no one else has in stock because I think they hold on to their stock for a lot. I don't know whether they hold on to it or what their stock model is, but they often have things in stock that have gone out everywhere else. Yeah. They don't just have UK brands, which I like. They have all the European brands that I used to shop when I still live in Germany or France. So that's interesting. And they seem to, yeah, just their targeting and everything. Obviously, I right on delivery, I think they could introduce planner as well. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good way. Or some pay later. Um, I'll send this podcast to them afterwards and be like, here's the things you need to improve on from two customers. Yeah, the pay later thing. I like pay later because... We introduced pay later for the European market. We haven't gotten in the UK yet. But I was worried that the returns rate would go up and people wouldn't keep so many things. But actually what happened, the basket value increased and the returns rate has gone down, which was very surprising. But I think it's that psychological thing of, okay, I can just order it. I need to pay later. So I've still got four weeks and then it arrives and you actually like it and you're hooked in. You're not sending it back. And that even happens in Germany because Germany as a country has an unusually high returns rate in e-commerce versus the rest of Europe. Yes. And so, wow, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I can't remember who it was. It was one of the sports shoes brands that they actually pulled out of Germany in the end because they couldn't cope with the volume of returns because I think it was 33% of consumers return stuff in Germany, whereas the rate is nowhere near as high as that in the UK, unless you're ASOS, in which case yeah. you're going to get that many returns because everyone buys every size and tests it out. But okay, mm. that's really interesting insight in that. Would you use any other pay later systems or do you think Kalana is the best one out there? Possibly for Europe, I think Klarna um, is very, very good. There are some restrictions with the US markets, mm-hmm. um, especially regarding American Express. Can't integrate that with them. American but, Express has to be different. Obviously. So I think, but then again, since that competition came on the market for Klarna, I think they've made a lot of improvements. Okay. So then again, competition can it's improve. Healthy. Yeah, it's healthy. And so we normally ask the person what question they would like to ask the next person on the podcast, but the person before you is Noel from Gymshark. So I'm not going to ask him what question he wants to ask you, because I feel like that might be a little bit demoralizing for you, slight different scale of brands. But what question would you ideally like the answer to from another e-commerce leader or founder? How do you keep up? That is, that is my question because there's so much new stuff out there and sometimes I feel like I need to take a course on speed learning or reading or because yeah it's been a lot and just keeping up with everything especially social channels there's so much new stuff out there how do you keep up that would be my question do you know what I'll put that question to Noel for you I think that's a really (laughs) solid question and I think given the size of brand they are I think the because surely the larger the brand becomes, the harder that actually becomes because you're just less agile. So yeah, yeah, you're right. You could listen to podcasts all day and you still wouldn't keep up to date. There's got to be a way. I wonder if it is to specialize in your area and to have a team that all specializes in a different area so that you are able to keep up with your 
remit. Because as a leader, you're not going to be able to understand absolutely everything. But if you have a PPC expert, you have an affiliate, or maybe you have a paid media specialist, and then you have an organic specialist, could you keep up that way? Is he checking on all these people? Yeah. Like, you know, because you want to, you want to still know what's going on as a leader. It's even our CEO is still like, what's going on? Can I see these figures? And obviously they should, they, they, they need to, because it just takes one person who doesn't do their job correctly and you, you can be in a lot of trouble. That comes down to trust and recruitment though, doesn't it? Oh, that, that's another heart. Oh, well, recruitment is impossible right now. So I can't imagine what that's like, but I think that's what it does come down to. And I think we've got Luca, our CEO coming on in a couple of weeks time. And one of the things he's exceptional at, and I've never had it in any other business, is the level of autonomy he gives everyone. And yes, he still asks, he still asks yeah. to check in and things, but the level of autonomy not only motivates you to do your best because that's your area and he gives you full ownership over it, but actually that becomes your baby. That's a nice thing I found out here as well. There's no one breathing down your neck saying you need to do this work and you need to do it now and in, in between those hours. So there's a lot of flexibility, which I think that's when people do the best work. Yeah. As soon as I said that and I kind of explained to my mom how much I was loving my job, she turned around to me and said, Hannah, never forget this lesson. She said, because you've not had that opportunity before. And if this is how you feel, chances are it's how the majority of people feel. And therefore you want to ensure you always treat your employees in that way to keep them that motivated. And I think she's right. Definitely. Well, look, thank you ever so much for your time today, Julia. Like I say, I can't imagine how busy you are with Q4 preparations, but I really appreciate um, you having a chat with us, hearing more about Maxwell Scott Bags. I hope we can get a few more briefcases sold through this podcast. You never know. Thanks for having me.